Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts. Uh, We may get through the whole chapter, but starting with verse 32, we go from Paul to Peter. So depending upon, um, we're actually going to read chapter 9 in two other places um, in the book of Acts, almost verbatim, word for word, with detail being added, and we'll get a, a more complete picture of a man whose name was changed from Saul, Israel's first king, to Paul. And uh, the, the background here, where we were on Sunday, when the persecution broke out in Jerusalem, uh, the church went underground. The apostles remained primarily in Jerusalem, uh, but many of them were scattered. Remember on Sunday we found Philip up in Samaria and along the Mediterranean coast. The thing that triggered it was the stoning of Stephen followed by persecution. The other religious leaders in Jerusalem were satisfied after they um, had run the Christians out of Jerusalem and they were willing to let this thing just stay at that point, but not Saul of Tarsus. He was the one who was breathing out threats and slaughter. He hated Jesus Christ. Um, I do not think that the Lord Jesus ever had an enemy greater than this man called Saul of Tarsus. He went up to the high priest and said, look, I heard that a group of them have gone up to Damascus and I'm going after them. And the fact of the matter is that he intended to just dig them out anywhere they went. His goal was to exterminate the Christians. And he was that adamant and passionate about it. I'm gonna put something on a screen right now that's on the Golan Heights. It is, um, uh, it would have been a defense area it is not, um, it's more of a, a visiting place right now. There's a cafe up there that we call um, Coffee in the Clouds. And what you're looking at is, this is actually a sign that they have how many miles it is to Haifa, to Baghdad, to the Prime Minister's office. And then if you look at the bottom, on the right-hand side, it says Damascus, 60 miles. And that's actually accurate. And um, the next picture that I'm going to put up, because our first couple verses here, is Paul, Saul, on his way to the road to Damascus. That road still exists to this day, and this is what it looks like from that vantage point. So if you're up at this place called um, Coffee in the Clouds, uh, you can actually look down from, from this vantage point, and... Um, There's other places along the Golan, but this would have been the road um, that Saul, uh, having letters from the high priest, he's on his way. And this would have been the road 60 miles. Actually, you can see it on a clear day when you're standing on that part of the Golan Heights. All right, so let's look at the first five verses here. I'm gonna make, make it a little bit personal tonight tell you a little bit about um, my conversion. Uh, then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against, against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest, and he asked letters from him to the synagogue of Damascus so that he found any who were of the way. Now this is the first, before it was called the church, it was called the way. And uh, But this is what they referred to. Whether man or woman, that he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And so he's on his way, maybe on some little donkey or horse. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. And then he fell down to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. 
it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Let me put it in this terms. It's hard to get to kick a cactus. You don't want to kick a cactus. I've brushed along some and the the thorns on some of them automatically just stick to you and you have to pick them out one at a time and it's very, very painful. But it's hard to kick against it. And of course, what's being implied here is you're trying to fight against me and I'm the Lord. And it's hard to do that, Saul. So I want to give my, my own personal story about kicking me kicking against the goats. And it just happens to be exactly 51 years ago this spring break. As I'm speaking here tonight, there are people um, on spring break. Um, I was with my friend Pat Gahan. Neither one of us were saved. And um, we decided we were going to go to Galveston, Texas. So, hop in the van. We make our way to Galveston. Now, Galveston is an island. And some of you have heard this story before, but there's new people and people online who have never heard it. But um, in order to get there, you have to wait for the ferry to come and pick you up. So we're just sitting there um, smoking things we probably shouldn't have been smoking at the time, to be honest with you. (laughs) And there was this white van in front of us. And they couldn't go anywhere. They are waiting for the ferry too. And they came back and they were Christians that were doing missionary work for spring break. That's the only thing they were doing. The, the leader's name was Rick Manuel. So Rick Manuel comes out of this white van. He comes marching back. We roll down the window and he starts witnessing to us. And we can't go anywhere. We gotta, and he's not going to go anywhere. He's determined to, to, well, finally the ferry showed up and finally we got rid of Rick Manuel until we got to where we were staying. And uh, it was just, I think, sleeping on the beach, if I remember right. But so was he, right next to us. So we couldn't go to a store. I'd run into Rick Manuel. Couldn't go to the beach. We would run into Rick Manuel. And no matter where we went, we ran into Rick Manuel. Seriously. We were never so glad to leave spring break in our life. We were not there to hear about Jesus, okay? For those of you in your BC days who were, would go on spring break. All right, so enough of that and enough of Rick Manuel. And I was with my best friend, Pat Gahan, and um, Pat's, of course, saved now, uh, works heavily in missions in Africa. I want to fast forward several months, and uh, this would have been 51 years ago, so we're talking 1970. And the word was out, the second Woodstock is taking place in Jennings, Louisiana, and George Harrison is going to be there. And I thought, what are the chances that I'd ever get to see George Harrison? So uh, I, have it, I have a real good friend named Dave Warby, still am good friends with Dave, and me and him decide we're going to hitchhike to Jennings, Louisiana, and this was a festival you can go online, still it's online to this day. All I remember, it's extremely hot. George Harrison did not show up. Chuck Berry did. And uh, this, this was a big deal. There were thousands and thousands of people that were there, and they hired um, um, the outlaws to uh, enforce um, uh, the law. <laughs> if you can imagine that. Now, I'm going somewhere with the story because we're hitchhiking, right? So as we're hitchhiking down there, the guy that picked us up pulls into this gas station to fill up. And this is, oh, maybe 100 miles before we get to where we're going, okay? And I pull in, and there's a white van there. Now, I'm, I'm paranoid. Anytime I see a white van, I'm paranoid. But I thought, listen, I'm, in, I'm not in Texas. I'm in Jennings, Louisiana. This is months later. There's no way. 
but I had to go in and find out. So I walk into this gas station and I look and there's Rick Manuel. And I go, I'm not, I don't believe this. And I said, I go up to him and I said, you're Rick Manuel. And he looked at me and he goes, yeah, who are you? <laughs> he didn't remember me at all. But I couldn't get this guy out of my head. And all of a sudden, I'm very aware, like Billy Graham says, there is a hound of heaven. And if he's after you, um, he's going to create circumstances where you just cannot deny the, the probability factors that this is not a coincidence. And I knew it wasn't a coincidence. And we, we went on, and we ended up hitchhiking home. But I tell the story because I was kicking against the goats. And as I was fighting and not wanting to hear this, the Lord created the circumstances just like he did here. With I call this experience here a road to Damascus conversion because it is dramatic. But let me just talk about that for a minute because I've been with people who have had road to Damascus experiences with the Lord. And then there's people that have salvation experiences like the thief on the cross. And you can't get, both are saved, amen? But how different and how dramatic one is and the thief on the cross, how did he get saved? His prayer was, Lord, remember me when you enter your kingdom. He says, today you're gonna be with me in paradise. That was the sinner's prayer. Never went to church, never got baptized, none of that stuff. But I'm, I'm making a point here that his conversion was so dramatic when people have and they tell me their testimony and it's really a whopper, uh, divine appointment type situation. I said, well, I, I call that a road to Damascus uh, conversion. Well, uh, it didn't take long and, and the Lord uh, got my attention and um, that was 50, exactly 51 years ago this spring break and I thought what the heck I'll tell that story as we're, as we're opening up and um, um, we have here in verse 5 who are you I am Jesus whom you are persecuting it's hard for you to kick against the goads if the Lord is after you um, know that you can put up a good fight, you can try to w- run away from him, you can try to deny it, and uh, he, he'll, he'll let you go eventually. Uh, he'll, he'll give you over if you're determined not to. Not to. But I, I couldn't deny the fact that this was not a coincidence, and I had to deal with it. And uh, the rest is history. So um, let's pick it up in verse six. So he trembling. I imagine he was, and astonished, said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And the Lord said to him, arise and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. Uh, Damascus, I could really get sidetracked here, I promise I want too much, but I expect Damascus to be the next major event if the Lord doesn't come for the rapture. I really believe we're living that close to the end right now. If you look at the news bites that that are out, it's all about the cryptocurrency, and um, that's a given. That'll be implemented. Uh, the dollar will soon be gone, and um, um, this uh, reset 2021, that's, all the pieces are just falling very quickly into place. But one of the things that has to happen is Damascus has to be destroyed and never inhabited again. And so this is where, this is where Paul's going. He's not Paul yet, he's Saul right now. The city that he's referring to is Damascus itself and you'll be told what you must do. And the men who journeyed with him stood speechless. They heard a voice but seeing no one. So the Lord was allowing the Shekinah presence of the Lord to be seen by Saul but not the other guys. They heard a voice. Then Saul arose from the ground, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no one, but they led him by hand and brought him into Damascus. 
and he was there three days without sight, so he was blinded. And he didn't eat, and he did not drink. But he had three days to think about what just happened. He had this incredible experience. The Lord tells him, I'm Jesus whom you're persecuting. And you're radical about it to the point where you're willing to go to other cities and drag them out of their house and home. Hard to kick against the goads, Saul. Um, So after three days and three nights, he, he figures out, what do I do? So he starts his first prayer. And we find um, in verses uh, 10, let's pick it up there. Um, Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. So the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire of a house of Judas, of one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him, that he might receive his sight. Let's see how far I want to go with this. 16. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard much about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before, and catch the order of events here, before Gentiles, before kings, and the children of Israel. So we got Jews and Gentiles, and, and eventually he'll end up in Rome witnessing there too. Verse six is an important verse that I'm gonna get a little sidetracked on here too. I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So here's the Lord speaking to him and answering his prayer. Okay, Um, your eyes are going to be healed. I have a special calling for you, Saul. And um, a part of your ministry is how many things you must suffer for my name's sake. Now, we don't usually tell people that part of the equation when you become a Christian. We usually tell them, you know, their angels are rejoicing in heaven, your name's in, put them into the book of life. And, um, but the fact of the matter is, when a person is born again, first nature is the flesh. And then when you're born again, you have another nature, and they're at war with each other. The flesh wars against the spirit, and the spirit wars against the flesh. Somebody want to give me an amen or not? I can't tell you how important it is to tell people the truth about when they come to the Lord. Now you've got a battle that's going to be going on inside of you. And as a matter of fact, there's going to be a lot of people who aren't going to like you anymore, simply because you are now a Christian. And here, it comes right out and says, he's going to suffer many things. Well, let me take you to um, the many things. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. 2 Corinthians 11, pick it up. Paul um, is validating his apostleship. He is now Paul in chapter 11 and he wants to validate to the people he's talking to that he is indeed an apostle. So let's pick it up Oh, in verse 22. I don't want to read the whole chapter. Um, He's talking about Hebrews. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors, more abundant. In stripes, he's talking about physical uh, beatings, above measure, can't even count them. 
imprisoned more frequently in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Jesus got the 40 stripes minus one. You ever wonder why it's 39 uh, instead of 40? Because the Old Testament law says that part of, of, of correction and punishment was the whipping, but you could only do only 40. And you would be breaking the Mosaic law if you went to 41. So just to make sure that they didn't go to 41, they stopped at 39. So that's why they say 40 lashes minus one. Well, he had this done to him five times. Um, Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A day and a night I've been in, in the deep in journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, And besides all these other things, what comes upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. He was always on the road, going around, trying to build up and encourage. But wherever Paul went, he got beat up. He got thrown into prison. And this was was pretty much his life. And um, again, I want to uh, bring this up because... When he's called, let's go back to um, chapter 9. And I will show him in verse 16 how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. Now you have a little bit of an idea of uh, um, the Apostle Paul and the suffering that he personally went through. People have been asking me, she almost on a daily basis, have I heard anything about David Hawking? And um, some had him uh, uh, in very, he, well, he is in very serious condition. And I, I, I wanted to call him. Last time I called, I got a hold of his secretary. She picked up, um, of course, um, everybody would want to know how he's doing, and so they weren't answering him phone, but um, David and I go way back. She recognized my name on the phone. Well, I called today, and Jade actually picked up the phone. I was very surprised, and I said, um, uh, Jade, is Dwight, and she said, I know. I, I can't take too many calls, but they're getting calls from people in Israel all over the world, and to my surprise, I could hear David in the background slightly. And um, I said, can you give me an update on David? A lot of people have questions, are praying for him. Um, And she just laid it all out. And then she said to me, do you want to talk to him? I said, he he can talk. He's been in in, uh, severe pain. Matter of fact, he was asking for his pain pill while I was talking to Jade. And Jade was telling him, they gave it to you, but it's not going to kick in for another 30 minutes. But he was in excruciating pain while I was talking to Jade, mostly on the phone. I was very surprised to be able to talk to, to David. But he's very weak. And I said, um, we will pray for them. The Bible study tonight is going to be about suffering. and I'm going to talk a little bit about David's suffering. How explicit can I be? I want you to tell me where to draw the line with his condition. And she said, everything that I told you, you can go ahead and, and just share it. So here's, here's what David's going through right now. Um, he's got blood clots in his leg. He has a disease that I can't pronounce that cannot be treated with um, med- medication of any kind. It's actually a, t- um, a disease that... Uh, eats away your 
discs in your back. Literally eats them away and has already eaten completely one. And they had to replace that one. So they had to go in and do surgery. They got it all out. Um, but now we're dealing with the pain factor that, that he's in. And this is like um, 24-7 that he's having this pain. And um, again, he was very, very weak when I was talking to him. So David is 80 years old. Uh, he's probably one of the best known Bible teachers in the world. Uh, we've had prophecy conferences here for 20 years. This is the only one I think he won't be at. I think there was another one that was only because he was traveling in Israel. And uh, I've been to Israel with, with David several times. And um, uh, we, I consider him a very close friend and he does with me also. But um, I, I said, Jade, I'd like, and I'm talking about Paul tonight and his sufferings, and um, David is known, David could actually walk in the, to Bibi's office in Jerusalem with very little notice. That's how popular he is in Israel. You know, he's Jewish, and Jade is Jewish, but he's a messianic believer. And he's a He's got that voice that says, amen? Amen? <laughs> and um, he doesn't have that strong voice now. I bring it up and I said, we have, um, we have, a, we have a good size prayer chain. And I'm going to make sure that it's on it. And Jade said, that's the only thing we can do right now. And... Um, um, I don't think he's out of the woods yet, but um, the fact that he could talk, that was more than he could do two months ago with me. So he's been going through this pain for two months straight where he, the last time I called, he couldn't talk because of the pain that he's in. So all that to say this, uh, here's one of the greatest Bible teachers in the world who's going through some of the greatest suffering that anybody I know about right now. The last thing I told Jade before we hung up and I said, I sure don't have any problems. <laughs> not, not compared to what I, you're telling me about, about David. So um, this will be the first one that um, I can remember him um, missing. That's coming up next month. All right, let's go down to verse um, 17. I will show him how many things he must suffer. And again here, um, nobody wants to suffer. But if we're honest, it's it's part of um, the Christian walk. And it can come in physical form. Um, Remember that Job suffering that he had, the boils? Well, where did they come from? Satan. Satan, the Lord allowed it to happen, God's sovereign, but the Lord still allowed the suffering to come upon Job. So, verse 17, then Ananias went his way and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus whom appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you may receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized. I'm just going to stop right here. Remember, we've been going back and forth about, um, well, just in Acts um, um, Acts 2, they were, or in Acts 8, they were, um, baptized in water uh, in verse 16 of chapter 8 for he had not yet fallen upon none of them that had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus so here's people that get saved they get baptized but they don't get filled with the Holy Spirit until Peter and John come up from Jerusalem 
Well, here in verse nine, just the opposite is true. We have him being healed. He has his sight back and he's filled with the Holy Spirit. And then it says he arose and was baptized. So we have it being reversed. And when he had received food and he was strengthened, then Saul spent some days with the disciples who were in Damascus. Um, Paul would repeat this same story and to give more detail to what we're reading tonight, I'm gonna ask you to turn to Acts chapter 26. Acts 26, and I'm actually gonna pick it up and I wanna take you to one of the most beautiful cities in the world. This is where Philip ended up staying. Paul would be in prison in Caesarea for a couple years. Um, But remember, the Lord said he's gonna stand before kings. And now we have King Agrippa in verse one. And Paul is going to speak to him. Now when we go to Israel, we go to Caesarea. They have a beautiful amphitheater there that faces the Mediterranean Sea. And they have a special platform area cut out, maybe eight by eight, and it's called the judgment seat. And this is where King Agrippa would have been. And Paul would have been down in the, in the, in the uh, middle area, and he's speaking to a king. And um, again, one of the amazing things, this is what I call an A spot. I mean, this is where Agrippa was, and this is where Paul was, and this is the same building. And it really makes the Bible come alive. So let's pick it up in verse one, because it adds detail to Acts nine. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself, I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before your concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you're an expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me and uh, patiently. I think he's buttering him up there a little bit. <laughs> my manner of life from my youth was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They know me from the first. If they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I was a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise our 12 tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible by you that God raises the dead? Indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And this I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priest. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them and I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So now we have detail. We know what one of those foreign cities was, was Damascus. Well, this occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priest. At midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than a sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me, saying in the Hebrew language, now we're having detail being added here that we don't get next time, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? 
And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and of the things that I will yet reveal to you. We don't have that in Acts time. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you. Um, remember the word Gentiles there because we go to Acts 22 in just a sec to make a point of that. To open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God that they might receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the regions of Judah and then to the Gentiles that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. For these reasons the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand witnessing both to small and great, saying no other thing than those things which the prophets and Moses would come, that the Christ would suffer. And I have that underlined. And that he would be first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now, as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you're beside yourself. Much learning is made you mad. But he said, I'm not mad, most noble Festus, but I'm speaking the words of truth and reason. For the king, before whom I speak freely, he knows these things, I am convinced that none of these things escape his attention, since this thing was done, was not done in a corner. In other words, everything that he's talking about, everybody knew about. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? And I like this because he answers for him. I know that you believe the prophets. And then I like this. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. Almost. Kicking against the goads. He knew everything that was being said is true. He knew all the prophets spoke of the coming of the Messiah. He's declaring Jesus proved he was the Messiah by raising from the dead. He talks about his own dramatic conversion as being the most radical against this sect and how he was completely changed from that to be the main ambassador. And um, what can we say that King Agrippa almost made it to heaven? He didn't, almost. And this is why the scripture talks about the danger of those that are maybe very wealthy or very prominent and it can affect their position. What would people think? I'm King Agrippa. What if they found out or became a Christian? This is what's going through his head. But he knows everything that's seeing is true, so he says, almost. I hear you. But he didn't do it. And so, go to 22, Acts 22, and I'm gonna add a little something here be as he is given permission to speak before the crowd. I want to wake, make my way up to um, verse 23. So we're going to get a, a couple different perspectives of, of Acts chapter 9 this evening. Uh, verse 1, men, brethren, and, and fathers, hear my defense before you now. And when they heard that he spoke to them in the Hebrew language, they all kept the more silent. Then he said, I am indeed a Jew, born in Tarsus of Sicily, and brought up in the city at the feet of Gamaliel. Now, Gamaliel was the main instructor and the wisest of um, the teachers in his time. Taught according to the strictest of our father's law, and we know from other places that was a Pharisee, and was zealous towards God, 
as you all are today. I persecuted the way to, to the death, minding and delivering into prison both men and women, as also the high priest can bear witness and the council of the elders from whom I also received letters to the brethren went to Damascus to bring in chains even those who were there to Jerusalem to be punished. Now it happened as I journeyed and came near Damascus about noon, suddenly a great light from heaven shone around. I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you, are you persecuting me? So I answered and I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me indeed saw the the light and were afraid, but they did not hear the voice of him who spoke to him. And it seems to me, um, Acts 9 is saying just the opposite, and uh, so we don't have a complete picture, and we'll get... Whenever I read a scripture like this, I say, put it in the back of my head, waiting for further information. So I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, arise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all things which are appointed for you to do. And since I could not see for the glory of the light, that's what blinded him, being led by the hand of those who were with me, I came to Damascus. Then one Ananias, a devout man, according to the law, having a good testimony with all the Jews who dwelt there, came to me and stood and said to me, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And that same hour I looked up to him. Then he said, the God of our fathers has chosen you that you should know his will and see the just one and hear the voice of his mouth. Now at this time I want to stop and say what he's doing right now is he's witnessing. And he's declaring his background, giving himself credibility, and he has their attention, and they're listening. And verse 15, for you will be witness to all men what you have seen and heard, and now, why are you waiting? Arise and be baptized, and wash away your sins calling on the name of the Lord. He's inviting them to to come to Christ. Then it happened when I returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple that I was in a trance and I saw him saying to me, make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly for they will not receive your testimony concerning me. So I said, Lord, they know that in every synagogue I'm in prison and beat those who believe on you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was standing by, consenting to his death, and guarding the clothes of those who were killing them. Well, we don't find that anywhere else except right here. Then he said to me, depart, for I will send you from here to the Gentiles. All right, he has them in the palm of his hands up to what he just said right here. And here's why. And they listened to him until this word. Until what word? Gentile? Gentile? You're telling me that Gentiles can be saved? Gentiles are Gentiles. They don't get saved. So, end of, they listened up until this word, and then they raised their voices and said, away with such a fellow fellow from the earth, for he is not fit to live And then as they cried out and tore off their clothes and threw dust into the air. What I want you to see in these verses here is he has their attention. He gives his his personal testimony, gives an invitation. They're listening. And they're listening all the way up to the point where it says that a Gentile could be saved. And they go from almost becoming believers, saying, this guy's got to die if he thinks that Gentiles are going to be saved. All right, let's go back to, I wanted to fill in that. Let's go back to Acts chapter 9. And um, we left off with verse 19, so let's read 20 through 22. Immediately he preached 
the Christ in the synagogue that he is the son of God. Then all who heard were amazed and said, is this not he who destroyed those who called on this name in Jerusalem? And has he come here for the purpose so that he might come and bring them bound to the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who dwelt in Damascus, proving that Jesus is the Christ. Now, we have, um, uh, in the King James, I think the very Christ means the very Messiah. Here, Saul confronted the Jews by preaching this. Saul of Tarsus is number one in several departments. He's number one in suffering. He's number one as far as his missionary work. I think he's also number one with his IQ. He was a brilliant man. He was able to confound those who attempted to uh, tackle his intelligence. He could always turn it around. Now, between verses 22 and 23, we, we read in 23, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So what happens here is we're told that Paul spent three years in Arabia being taught by Jesus himself. So when we read between verses 22 and 23, we have a gap. What the many days is equivalent to is the three-year period of time. So he was personally taught by the Lord. How much time did Jesus spend with the disciples? Three years. How much time did the Lord spend with the Apostle Paul in Arabia? Three years. So between verses 22 and 23, now after many days were passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. But their plot became known to Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. So the disciples took him by night and let him down through the wall in a large basket. And when Saul had come to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him and did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. There's Barnabas. Um, And he declared to them how he had seen the Lord on the road and that he had been spoken to him and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. So he was with them at Jerusalem coming in and going out. Who was? Well, Barnabas. Um, uh, the guy with the great reputation, with the big heart, who sold his possessions so that the people, that new converts, could have um, food to eat. Now in verse 29, we read, and he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Hellenists, but they attempted to kill him. All right, who are the Hellenists? The Hellenists are Greeks, but they're also Israelites who have a Greek background. Uh, They had been brought up outside of Israel somewhere in the Greek world, and the witness of Saul was so powerful that they concluded the only way to get rid of his effectiveness was to eliminate him and to kill him. So um, that's what a Hellenist is. Now in verse 30, but when the brethren found out that they wanted to kill him, they brought him down to Caesarea. Now we're going from Jerusalem, and whenever we read about leaving Jerusalem, it's always going down. And if you're going to, what is it? You're always going up. So now he's going down to this beautiful city on the Mediterranean, and it's absolutely Beautiful. And he brought him to Caesarea, 
and then sent him out to Tarsus. So they stuck him out of Dodge. They get him down in Caesarea, and he goes to his hometown of Caesarea, and it's estimated for a period of time, possibly as much as up to seven years. Paul goes to his hometown. He probably went back to tell his father and mother, brothers and sisters, and other relatives about Christ. We know nothing about them. Paul never talks about his family, with one exception, and that's in Romans 16. He mentions some folks who he was related to. Paul really never began his real ministry until 14 years when he begins making his missionary a lot of people don't realize that. Yes, he spoke the gospel right away. But there was this three years in Arabia, seven years up in Tarsus. And uh, then when he's actually called down, um, it's uh, almost 14 full years that have, have passed. 31 is a very important verse. Then the churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, and Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit were multiplied. I gotta touch on this because we have two things going on here. And here is the balance that we have to have with the Lord. Reverence should be, could be a, another word for fear. Respect um, and as a result, a healthy, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That's what the Proverbs tell us. But at the same time, and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, we have both things going on at the same time. We're, we're comforted by the Holy Spirit of the Lord, but at the same time, we have this fear that we want to do what is right and we do not want to do what is wrong because of our fear for the Lord, knowing that um, we'll be held accountable. So this actually ends um, the conversion of Saul, who now is uh, Paul, and the rest of the chapter actually changes, and now we are going to go to Peter. And I told Judy before I got here, I said, I don't know, because of the stories I'm gonna tell tonight, if I'm gonna stop at verse 31 or finish the chapter because we're going from Paul now to Peter. But we have enough time and um, uh, we'll finish out chapter nine. So now it came to pass at verse 32 to 35. As Peter went throughout all parts of the country that he also came down to the saints who dwelt in Lydia. And there they found a certain man named Aeneas, who had been bedridden for eight years and was paralyzed. So hasn't been able to get out of bed for eight years and he's paralyzed. And Peter said to Aeneas, Jesus, the Christ, heals you. Arise, make your bed. And then he rose immediately And so all who dwelt in Lydia and Sharon saw him and turned to the Lord. It is it is sort of like the the uh, uh, the blind man who was at the temple gate when Peter and John and he was asking alms. Everybody knew who he was, and when his eyesight um, was um, he was healed. Many, many people got saved. Well, that's what happened here um, in Lydia. Now, in verses 36 to the end, we have Peter at Joppa. Joppa is one of my favorite places in Israel. Um, It's on the Mediterranean Sea. If you're in Tel Aviv and... uh, Usually we spend our first night in Tel Aviv on right on the ocean or the Mediterranean. And we've walked several times from Tel Aviv along the Mediterranean shore 
to Joppa. That's how close it is. It's a good hour's walk, at least. But so so beautiful. But what I like about it is just the opposite of Tel, Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv is cosmopolitan all the way. Joppa is like going back in time to what it would have looked like when, when um, Peter was there. Uh, let's pick it up in verse 36. At Joppa, there was a certain disciple named Tabitha, which is translated Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and charitable deeds, which she did. Now, obviously, Peter has the gift of miracles. Pretty obvious, don't you think? Well, um, this woman uh, also has a gift. When, when you read the list of gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, one of them is the gift of helps. It's actually a ministry. And this is what she did. She did good works. She was, had the gift of, I'm available. What, what needs to be done? Here I am. I'll make myself available for, for good works. But it happened in those days that she became sick and died. And when they had washed her and laid her in the upper room, and since Lydia was near Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent two men to him, imploring him not to delay in coming to them. So Peter arose and went with them. When he had come, they brought him to the upper room, and the widows stood by him weeping and they were showing the tunics and the garments and the things that Dorcas had made while she was still with them. Oh, this is what she gave to me and this is what she gave to me and they were reminiscing of her works. But Peter put them all out and knelt down and prayed and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes And when she saw Peter, she sat up. Then he gave her his hand, lifted her up, and when he had called the saints and the widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all all of Joppa, and many believed on the, the Lord. And so it was that he stayed many days in Joppa. So this this is Peter, many days in Joppa, with Simon a tanner. Okay. I'm going to take you to Joppa as I close the study tonight. So, remember when I told you about Caesarea and the spot where Agrippa was? And I said it's an A spot because that was still there 2,000 years later. Same auditorium. That's where, that's where he, that's an A spot. Okay, when you go to Joppa and um, they're taking you around, um, they'll take you to this one house and on, on, on the door it says, this is the house of Simon the Tanner. This is a seaside. <laughs> it means it's a place that they, who know, who's gonna know after that many years which, which house was Simon the Tanner's? But you gotta show the tour something. So it's the same with the upper room. Um, we don't, I don't take our groups to the upper room in Jerusalem because Jerusalem has been destroyed and rebuilt 20 times. And uh, there's no way that this building could be the upper room, period. It's a definitely a D site, okay? And, but um, I, I get still in my mind's eye, I, I can see this and I chuckle because um, um it really happened. He stayed, Peter stayed there many days in the house of Simon and the Tanner. But to keep the tourists happy, they make a place where you can go and actually visit the, uh, the place where Peter stayed for many days. So, remember that what got them so upset and they wouldn't listen anymore because he said he was sent to the Gentiles? Next week in chapter 10, we have the first Gentile being saved. His name is Cornelius. And with that, we have the conversion of Saul, who suffered greatly many things, 
look forward to meeting this man. Um, and with that, um, let's stand and we'll pray. Lord, as we see the calling and this dramatic conversion of this man who despised you so much, it it truly fits the scripture that says um, those who love much have, have been forgiven much. And those who have been forgiven much, they love much. Saul was forgiven much, but as a result of his animosity and hatred of you, you turned him in to the greatest missionary uh, that has probably ever um, walked this world. So Lord, as we learn about his life, may we glean the truths from chapter nine to walk in the fear of the Lord, but at the same time, uh, being comforted by the Holy Spirit And we find here, as the church did that, that they were multiplied. So we hold up the book of Acts to you. We thank you for Saul, who will become um, the 12th apostle. We know this because his name is on the New Jerusalem, along with the other 11 apostles, that he was the one that you chose. So thank you for your word tonight. Bless your people as we go. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.